Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. When one is making a first trip into the Palouse country, it might be easy to ask out loud, where is everybody? Especially if you come from an urban region, and out here in the rolling wheatland, it's different. The air's sweet, you can hear the bird song, and the natural process includes all four seasons with gusto. You find Washington State University on a collection of hills adjacent to the town of Poole. And in the eyes of an old alumnus, it is still a happy find for one who came from afar and who stayed long enough to have a life shaped. And once in a while, the WSU Cougars sit on top of the Pac-10 Conference football standings in November. Michael Preston. Welcome to another quarantined edition of the Cook Center Hour. I am Michael Preston, still stuck here in our house. On, this is like day 25, I think, at this point for those of us in the Seattle area. We've been doing this long before many other folks have been doing it. So uh, this is not new news to us. So uh, we've been in quarantine now for over three weeks or social distancing whatever you want to call it. It's been going on for quite a while here. So, uh, yeah, we've been dealing with that for a long time. We kind of started a series uh, about a week ago, uh, a little over a week ago, actually two weeks ago now that I'm thinking about it, where we went over kind of the the favorite events of I started and PJ went over, came on the show, went over his favorite event, the Oregon game from 2018. Mine was the SC game from 2017. And... I, I put out there on social media kind of like requests, like what would you want to see on this show? And we got so many, I don't, I don't want to say so many because it's not like there were like hundreds of responses, but a number of people saying they wanted the 1997 UCLA game, the 1997 Apple Cup, the Rose Bowl from that season. And what got us thinking was that really it's that entire season. That entire season is arguably the greatest in Washington State football history. And in fact, it would be very difficult to argue that there was a better one. Yes, in 2018, they set a school record for wins, but the final game was not the Rose Bowl. It was not having a sniff at a national championship that year at one point. And because at the time I was nine years old and a Husky fan, <laughs> um, I was not exactly qualified to be the person to talk about it. Luckily, at Kook Center, we are unique in that we have four authors who happen to be in school at the time of the 1997 season. Jeff Neusser, Kyle Sherwood, PJ Kendall, and Scott Cresswell. So we got the idea to have everybody come on and talk about that season. And what ended up happening was we talked for nearly three hours about one football season that happened 23 years ago. And in fact, we talked so much and had so many good stories that this has to be a two-parter. We're not just going to give it to you in one part, throw two, two, you know, a Titanic movie length of audio at you and have you listen to it. Uh, but this was arguably the most fun I've had doing a podcast because, again, this was not a season I got to experience. I wasn't really a Cougar fan until I set foot on campus in 2006. So it's not as if I've had a lot of great football. You know, more recently, there's been good football. But this was a foreign thing to me. The, you know, talking about that season and 
the mythology of Ryan Leaf and Michael Black and Mont Thompson and all those guys on that. I mean, I'm, I'm forgetting a ton of names, but all those guys on that team, just kind of the, you know, the mythology of everybody, but especially a Heisman Trophy candidate in Ryan Leaf, the man who's, who finished highest in the Heisman Trophy voting in school history. And so we wanted to bring everybody together to tell these stories about these games. And on this this first part one, we're gonna we're calling this the 1997 season megacast part one. So we're gonna go over the first 10 games of this season because you know obviously the season was gigantic, but that Apple Cup and that Rose Bowl have so many lasting memories for so many people that just those two football games required a second part to all of this. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about those first 10 games. We're going to talk about what it meant to everybody, kind of where they were and what that team was and what it meant to Washington State University and some of the fun things and the difficult things that came out of that season, like the fact that things weren't televised and you had to, you know, listen to it on the radio or beg, borrow, and steal to get games on TV or read about it in the newspaper, which are all very foreign concepts these days. Uh, even to me, I don't mean to say that it's your know, foreign concepts to this younger generation. No, even I'm not really used to that. So uh, we had a ton of fun doing this. I hope you have a blast listening to it. I really hope you enjoy it. Part two will come out later on this week. Uh, but here is part one of the 1997 season megacast with Jeff Neusser, Kyle Sherwood, PJ Kendall, Scott Cresswell, and myself. We will have it for you right after we play the fight song. Get you in a good mood right with the fight song. Here on the Coog Center Hour, and uh, you asked, and we have delivered a Saturday when all of these guys have their kids in bed or away, uh, and they're here talking about football that happened 23 years ago instead of doing something more productive. So I'm eternally grateful for that. Uh, Kyle Sherwood, Scott Cresswell, PJ Kendall, and Jeff Neusser are here to talk about the 1997 season. I can't like we got so many demands for. Like, just, like, the Apple Cup, the Rose Bowl. I even got, like, one for the just the UCLA game. I know PJ wanted to talk about that, too, when we instead did the 2018 Oregon game. So, we just figured it'd be better to talk about the whole dang season. So, first thing I want to do is I want to establish and go around the room where everybody was, because at the time, I was nine years old. I barely knew how to ride a bicycle, which is a deep, dark secret that I've now told the world, even at nine years old, I barely knew how to do it. Uh, Kyle Sherwood, where were you? How old were you? What were you doing in nineteen fall of 1997? Fall of 1997. So uh, coming into the season, uh, I was a freshman. Uh, I had just graduated co- uh, high school in 97. So I was, a, uh, I, was, I was a freshman going into school. So I, uh, 
it's actually kind of it's kind of a funny story. I uh, my whole life I didn't really watch uh, Washington football, Washington State football. I didn't really watch college football at all. I was I had grown up uh, wanting to be an Indiana Hoosier, and I had uh, moved. I had packed up and been accepted to uh, IU, and I was sitting in Bloomington in mid-August when uh, someone called me on my five-digit phone number in my dorm room and told me to go down to the, the registrar's office. And long story short, found out that my scholarship fell through and how would I like to pay for my out-of-state tuition? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> wow. the, uh, yeah. Um, and so uh, I called my parents and I was just so depressed. My, and my, my parents were, and, and I, I think we can all uh, be a little real with ourselves in 1997. It wasn't super hard to get into Washington State University. And, uh, no, and I remember- and uh and my, How dare you? My, my parents <laughs> my parents call me up and they're like well why don't you just go to wazoo for a year you know your best friend's going there and and you know, we'll figure it out we'll figure out what what to do uh we'll figure out what to do next season and uh, my parents like knew like one of their friends had a son in a in a fraternity and like apparently like, like you know how like 21 year old frat guys are calling like when they find out that there's a freshman that might be able to pay a house bill you get a phone call three minutes later and i and long story short long story short i called my best friend from high school who was already going to wsu who was already on his way to wsu i was like hey um just so you know i'm i'm flying home and going to wsu i'll be there tomorrow and i'm joining a fraternity and you should join with me and like every year old with no plans he was like yeah okay that that tracks Uh, i'll join with you and so uh (laughs) <laughs> Both of us uh, went sight unseen, and yeah, I showed up on campus. I think two days before uh, this UCL, the 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 first the first game, the home opener. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not knowing anything about WSU, not knowing anything about WSU football. I'd never heard of Mike Price, never heard of Ryan Leaf, anything like that. So it was just a completely blank slate for me. Jeff, uh, not quite as blank a slate for you, right? You uh, you had been in school and were actually covering the team at this point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so I was uh, I was a junior, and uh, I was actually the editor in chief of the Daily Evergreen. And uh, the year before, I had been, or the semester before, I'd been sports editor. So I was kind of on track to, um, you know, kind of on track to cover the cover the football team. And you know, they were obviously uh, it had a pretty okay season the year before, uh, kind of you know narrowly missed out on on a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Uh, narrowly missed out on an apple gub win so there was some anticipation and um so i was i was covering the team along with uh the other sports reporter nima zarabi uh and we uh covered most of the games got to go to a handful of the out-of-town games got to cover the rose bowl as a member of the press so i uh, got to do all the cool stuff in 97 so i got i got a pretty uh a pretty uh, front row seat to everything that happened there and uh yeah so that's what that's what i was doing I've been inside the Rose Bowl more than me. I even asked a security guard when I lived in LA if I could just walk inside and take a peek, and he was totally rude to me, even though I'm like, sure he gets asked that question 19 times a day <laughs> and has to deal with it. Uh, for Scott, you? Uh, yeah, yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. You're handsome. You can get in. Uh, for my favorite, uh, also isolated in West Seattle now, uh, Scott Cresswell. We, we can't yeah. go anywhere because the bridge is shut and covid so we're all stuck in old it's original seattle's where seattle was founded actually in west seattle uh how about you where were you age what were you doing uh this season uh i was a 21 uh junior uh i was living in the beta house at the time that was soon to change um my my uh cougar fandom started early growing up in spokane uh my dad would take us to games Mm -hmm. and the first team that really got me into it was the uh 88 team uh dennis erickson coaching 
Did, we're, okay, we, we've talked about this before because Erickson went where after? He went to Miami or? Right. Yeah, right after, right? Yeah. Probably started in 89, yep. Yeah, oh, God. Right from Pullman to Miami. What a change of uh, scenery there. <laughs> uh, PJ, how about you? Because you didn't, if I'm remembering right, you did not actually start your academic career at Wazoo, right? You started at Iowa, I think, right? Is that yeah, correct? A lot like uh, Sherwood, actually. I, uh, my first two years, I lasted at Iowa. Uh, I was supposed to be on an engineering scholarship. It didn't take long to realize I suck at math. And I uh, heard that uh, engineering like requires some basic math skills. Requires uh, quite a bit of it, yes. So that's great. You don't have to be an engineering major, but uh, we don't have to give you a scholarship anymore. <laughs> uh, so I went back to uh, WSU after sucking up two years of out-of-state tuition at Iowa. and. Uh, but I, I grew up a Cougar fan. I've been a, a Cougar fan my whole life, uh, you know, much like Scott talked about growing up in Spokane, et cetera. Um, parents took me to my first game. It was in Spokane, actually, in, God, I want to say, like, 82. And then, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, made my way back to WSU. 96 was my first year there. And, uh, incidentally, in 97, uh, Iowa beat Indiana 62 to nothing, Sherwood. Oh, I can't swear. Sorry. <laughs> you baited me, though. We will, we will find a way to bleep. We will endeavor to find a way to bleep that hour, or it's just going to be an exceedingly special edition of the Kook Center Hour. Where we're drinking, Mike. It's going to happen. We just tag it with explicit, and it's fine. It'll be okay. Okay, so the first game, and, and this was one that uh, PJ had had nominated for his favorite event uh, at the – I nominated the Apple Cup. Yeah, yeah and, UCLA was mine. And so, yeah, so I, I, this was also a game we heard from a few folks that they wanted to talk about, and I think – um, because this all kind of started with Rolovich's, you know, like uh, his uh, Twitter tournament of you know, greatest WSU games and how everybody could forget, because I think it went up against what, like the 2012 Apple Cup, which was objectively a horrible game, but I can never forget Tony Pole's big rear end nearly scoring on that. Uh, it was technically a pick. Um, but like, give me an idea, guys, of kind of what this game all meant, because I mean, this was. This was a gigantic get right off the bat, August 30th. They have a bye week after this, which is incredible. Like the, the scheduling hurts my eyes. Uh, only and only three games in October. Again, completely bonkers to me, but right off the bat, biggest game of the year, pretty much. You know, accepting all the way to the Apple Cup in late November, right? Yeah, if I remember, the UCLA yeah. game was uh, initially supposed to be in October, but then they moved it up to August so they could get it on ABC. Like back in the late '90s, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a given that any, that any games were going to be on television, let alone national television. So they yeah. uh, they were able to get Keith Jackson to come to Pullman and all that fun stuff uh, if they could move it to the the first week of the year. I don't think Keith ever objected uh, to coming to Pullman. So it, it's late August. It's nice and hot. Sherwood's been on campus for two days. Jeff, uh, what was the scene at that game like? Because very close game. And it, if I'm remembering right, UCLA was a pretty darn good football team that year too. And so getting a win on a national stage with a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, that was probably the biggest game in Pullman and there would be many more that year, but it was the biggest game in Pullman for quite some time, maybe since the Snow Bowl. But even then, that led to a Copper Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, nobody had any sense that these were the two best teams in the conference out yeah. of the gate. Neither uh, one of them were ranked. And, yeah, neither one of them were ranked. And I think if anybody was thinking about, 
a Heisman Trophy candidate heading into that day, it would have been Skip Hicks. You know, Ryan Leaf wasn't really on that radar until, um, you know, some momentum starts building. They start climbing toward the top 10. Uh, you know, that, that was sort of, I think the weirdest thing about it in, in retrospect was that, I mean, I think everybody thought, okay, this is, you know, it's a, a you know, it's a conference game right out of the gate, which of course is unusual. Um, you know, there was some anticipation that the team could be okay, you know, but it was sort of like, Hey, they can make a bowl game. <laughs> like that's right. That's always kind of been the standard at Wazoo. It was never Rose Bowl. I mean, nobody, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like um, quite literally nobody thought Wazoo could ever make it back to a Rose Bowl ever again. Right. Um, and so, you know, it was just sort of like, Hey, you know, we're out of the gate. Well then, you know, we see, uh, you know, some of the, um, some of the ingredients that, that end up becoming, uh, part of that season, which is, you know, the explosive offense and, um, you know, just uh, really exciting football. So I just remember it being a beautiful day. Um, I remember it being a, a, a very stressful game. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I remember that, you know, by the end of it, uh, everyone was, was pretty excited. Yeah. PJ, this was not your first uh, Cougar football memory, like you mentioned, but I, I think for, cause it was your, if I'm doing the math right, it was your first year on campus as a student or your second year on campus as a student. So like, had there been an event that had, quite had that not necessarily anticipation but quite that excitement to that point for you because it seems like for a lot of folks this was obviously the start of something really special for the entire season yeah probably not before the game I mean there had been a couple moments in 96 my first year that were pretty insane we almost beat USC because of a miraculous Kevin McKenzie play but uh, player too and we lost that uh, and then the Apple Cup, when I think it was roughly four degrees, um, and we almost lost, or we almost won over time. But yeah, this this was this was big just because of you know first game of the year, UCLA. I mean, right, they weren't ranked, but they're still UCLA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just want to go on record, and I will go to my grave saying this: uh, when I was uh, at my brother's football camp, he was at Gonzaga Prep at the time during the summer, and Steve Gleason was there helping out. And I told Steve before the season started. If you guys win the Apple Cup, you will go to the Rose Bowl. And uh, I don't think I've gotten a prediction right since. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, will, I will take that one with me forever. You might as well just frame it. I mean, just, just frame it, put it up. And, yeah, when you – like on your gravestone, it should just say that. Just like a picture of that. Yeah, that would be all, all you ever need. I, I would visit just to take a picture with your gravestone. That would be. Yeah, I, I remember sitting. I was down. I was actually down in the uh, the corner of the end zone that Skip Hicks uh, scored that 92 yard touchdown to open up the game on. And uh, so right off the bat, it didn't look like uh, a Rose Bowl team. You know, two minutes into the first game of the season. Yeah. So Scott, I mean, Scott, how did the game go after that? Because it was kind of you know obviously uh, it, that reminds me of the 2007 Apple Cup when Lewis Rankin sco- he returns the opening kick and I kind of went, oh, that's how this is gonna go, and. It did not go like that after that, and we kind of started to see. I mean, everybody kind of knew Ryan Leaf was a great quarterback before this season, but the legend of Ryan Leaf kind of started to be born. And something interesting that we were talking about in Slack before this, all the drops in that game, because Ryan Leaf threw the ball so dang hard. Yeah, this was, uh, <clears throat> this was the game you really saw Ryan Leaf as a legit uh, All-American type player. Um, we always thought he had good. He was going to be, he had a lot of potential, but I was just mm-hmm. blown away just the uh, the aerial assault this game. And I always kind of remembered also as kind of the uh, the Nyan Taylor game. I mean, he just went off. 
he was kind of actually probably the most highest, highly, most highly recruited player of the Fab Five and uh, had the most expectations, um, I, I would say, going into the season. He had that 70-yard uh, uh, slant in the second, to open up the second yeah. half, right? That, was, that yeah. was a crazy play, yeah. He had well over 200 yards receiving, I believe, that game. And um, it, it, it turned out to be his best game of the year. But, uh, yeah, I always, always remember that game, I think, more for him than anything. Uh, just the way he went off, you know. <clears throat> Nyan Taylor also uh, known well around campus for his uh, green Ford Aspire. I thought it was a Mazda 323. Was it a Ford Explorer? <laughs> was it? <laughs> Either way, it was loud. Was it, yeah. Or a Geo Metro, one of, the, one of yeah. those types of yeah. cars. Nobody else could sit in it because every other seat had a speaker in it. Right, oh, that's right. amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I want that. Okay, so I just yeah. go around the Zoom room, so to speak, here. What would be kind of the one biggest memory you have from that game? Because, again, like – you know, contextualizing it for a guy like me, again, I was nine at the time. I don't have, like, a way to contextualize this a little bit, which is why we're doing it this way. So, Sherwood, what was the, like, the best memory you have, like, like a play or whatever else it could be just from that game? Because, it, okay. like, for a lot of people, it's, so, it's such an important game, and I kind of want to know why. Okay, first of all, I'm going to cheat because uh, I'm going to uh, because this is the one this is the one I wanted to talk to you about for an hour. So I have a few memories here. So I apologize. Okay. In advance, no, so don't don't so, apologize. Uh, so yeah, the first thing I remember about this game was uh, it was I don't think school had started yet, and they had a uh, and they had like this giant concert on Glen Terrell Mall the night before, and uh, Real Big Fish was like the headliner. So I remember. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember getting really oh, like, this was like this was like, like Real Big Fish was huge, and so like we got drunk and we we headed on over there and. Uh, and uh, the opening band for uh, the opening band for the for Real Big Fish was uh, this band called Kara's Flowers, which was like this um, mall punk band from like the 90s. Uh, very, very forgettable. And they were from L.A. and they were talking a whole bunch of shit about how UCLA was going to beat us the next day. Um, mm -hmm. Some some listeners will have figured this out already, but Kara's Flowers is now known as Maroon 5. Like it's the same, the same people and everything. No, yeah, so like, whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah. So, the, so the night before the game, so we were talking shit with Adam Real Levine, big like fish. Real Big Fish <laughs> and Adam Levine were yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we were all talking shit with Adam Levine that, that night before, and I, and oh. the other thing about uh, about the, this preseason thing was I remember. So this is like my third day on campus. I have no idea going on. Uh, what's going on between I, I don't really know anything about like the rivalry between WSU and UW like really my, my allegiance growing up was whichever team had a sale on, uh whichever team had sweatshirts on sale at Mervyn's at the time so like I uh, that was that's how I, I I left it UW I think was a top uh, preseason top five team this year uh like going going into the season I remember on Friday night like going I remember like being in a frat house knowing nobody because I had been on campus for like one day and I remember walking into a room going oh so UW's gonna be kind of good this year and like, I, I almost got like thrown out of the house like I had nobody <laughs> nobody like wanted anything to do with me for like a week and a half because I was like oh yeah so like aren't the Huskies supposed to be kind of good this year and everyone's like you don't fucking talk well, why are you doing this and I swear again I apologize but uh, it's just that's out the window. This out the window. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, it's, it's 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 been too many for me to find the the tone to beep it. So let's just let's we'll tag it with explicit and we'll call it good. So uh, so my memory of the game, uh, PJ had already kind of alluded to it, and I was sitting in the uh, in the opposite end zone when it happened. But uh, so I, we always sat in the uh, in the end zone uh, where the crimson is now because uh, you could show up in the middle of the second quarter and still still get a decent seat. But we all knew that this was a pretty big game, so we all got there early. And I remember Skip Hicks came out. 
And uh, I had this like giant roller like packing tube uh, that somebody had just given me walking into the stadium. They're like, you look like you're loud. You can yell through this for, for three hours. And so I got this thing and I just, uh, and so I started uh, like screaming how bad you know, skip hicks is walking out of the tunnel i just started screaming about how bad he was i didn't know anything about him other than he was like a heisman candidate so i just kept telling him how awful he was and he turns around and he gives our section uh two middle fingers and we're like yeah we got him we're in his head this is awesome <laughs> and then literally on the first play of the game he like rips off a 93 yarder like right in our like they're backed up in our end zone and like he rips off a 93 yard run like right in front of us so uh, i apologize uh for for uh skip hicks uh destroying uh the cougars that that day he did that just to, just to make us angry it turned out okay though uh jeff how about you because were you up in the it, in what by the way at the time was an absolutely postage stamp press box were you up there at the time or were you still down with the fans because rod commons uh had a very select list of who he let in upstairs yeah, no, I was up in the press box. Oh, you got uh, lucky. You were one of the yeah, lucky Yeah, so I was I, – I had a I had a press credential for the entire season, so I spent uh, every game up in the press box. In fact, my, my only game I wasn't in the press box was, uh, was the Apple Cup. So that was when I got to sit down, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, yeah, so I had, the, I had the bird's eye view from the uh, glorified trailer park trailer sitting on some stilts. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I, I remember it being a, you know, just a gorgeous day. I remember, uh, you know, feeling like we, we were definitely going to lose <laughs> at the end, you know, that, that fourth down play. We're like, oh, well, this, we know how this goes. Cause you know, we had just lived through the season before where, you know, kind of seemed like they just couldn't get, couldn't get the breaks, but, um, you know, figured out a way, figured out a way to outlast them, figured out a way to, uh, Thing. And then, of course, Leon Bender makes that giant playoff for Yep. Sets the course of the season. Fourth and a goal from uh, about two feet. About two feet, and they're going to go. 2.53 to play in the game. McNown. He didn't make it. Gave the ball to Jermaine Lewis, and he didn't get in there. Washington State just struck the middle. And they stop them cold. Holy smokes, what a Because, <laughs> I mean, Scott, that was that play I'm thinking of that Jeff just mentioned, because that was the big play of the game. And I assume that's one of your fondest memories of the game is that Leon Bender stop on fourth down, because that, again, oh, yeah. just yeah. the legend of so many players from this season gets born kind of early on. Exactly. Yeah, that's when uh, Big Leon really uh, became a beloved figure in the uh, WSU lore. And uh, that was kind of a game where it looked like we had it in the bag. And then uh, at the very end, we had to kind of uh, wait and see a uh, typical uh, Cougar uh, tradition. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that typical? I mean, that is typical, PJ, right? It's it's that, you know, you assume uh, prepare for the worst and hope for the best is kind of uh, just the tradition. And I assume what we all went into that game with. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the funny thing about that, uh, we talk about Bender, uh, was he was he was supposed to, well, he didn't start, and uh, nobody really knew how long he was going to be out, and so they threw in uh, Rob Meyer, who, you know, ended up being an NFL player, but uh, at the time, he was probably 6'6 six, six and 250, but he was not a, a well-built guy, and uh, they went right past where Bender would have been, would have been uh, defending, and uh, 92 yards, and so Bender's 
suspension lasted like one or two plays. <laughs> <laughs> one series. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure it lasted until the end of the series. He may have right. been in on the goal line runs. And then, uh, and then Bender uh, turned out he, he was Gabe Marks before Gabe Marks because uh, where Marks called UCLA soft and douchey a few years ago, Bender called him soft in, uh, after that game. It was like yeah, where four-star four star players go get soft. Go to get soft, yeah. Yeah, Leon was – he was like the real jewel um, of that season. And, you mm-hmm. know, of course he, he died, you know, after the NFL draft, um, had, a, had a seizure. But um, that season was just like he, – he was such a volatile personality and such a uh, unstoppable force as a defensive lineman. And um, so, you know, of course he sat out the game because of uh, – or sat out the first part of the game because of something that happened at the Apple Cup the year before when we lost in overtime. Um, and he was just like – he was such a uh, – like a, an incredible person, uh, such a – uh, incredible personality. Like, like you said, Gabe Marks is probably the perfect comp. I mean, other than the fact that their bodies have absolutely nothing. In but personality wise, you know, personality wise, uh, you know, Leon was that like, he would just say what was on his mind. He did not have a problem with that. And in fact, that, that led to a couple of meetings with me and Mike Price where uh, behind closed doors where Mike Price would admonish me for, uh, for writing down verbatim what uh, Leon Bender had actually said and then printing what he had said actually verbatim. And Mike Price is like, why are you trying to embarrass my player? And I went, I, I am, I'm not trying to embarrass your player. It's what he said. Literally said um, that. that I'm, I'm just reprinting what he said. Yes, that's, um, but he I'm was, doing my he job was, here. He was such a cool guy. And uh, to have him make that first big play, um, you know, was, 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 ended up being a really cool thing because he had spent, you know, basically two years trying to get eligible, really. He went to like a Juco down in He went Lewis, to Walla Walla. He went to Walla yeah, okay, Walla, yeah. I believe. Yeah. yeah he was one of those down Prop 48. Um, he was Prop 48, went to Juco, came back. recruiting tool for WSU. What yeah. was, so for those who don't know, what was Prop 48 uh, and what made it such a key recruiting tool for Washington State? It was uh, if you were if you didn't receive the the qualifying SAT score, you could sit out a year and then reapply the next year. And a lot of schools still wouldn't admit those players, no matter what. And Washington State was one of the schools that would. So Price was able to pick off some four-star recruits that otherwise may have not gone to uh, Palmer. You were only allowed to have like X amount of Prop 48 guys on the team, right? But they get to practice with the team. They get to develop. Uh, they and then they use up a year of eligibility, which they can get back on the back end if they graduate in four years, basically. So, so uh, it was a typical NCAA messiness, pretty much, is what yeah, you're telling me. Was, and there's a reason why they got really. It was a really good rule. Um, yeah. It it yeah. actually cleared up some inequities that's why one of, i mean obviously mike price loved it because it gave him a little bit of a recruiting advantage but but it also was um i don't know like it was i think it was an idea that was way before its time you know because you were dealing with uh you know kids who maybe didn't get the academic support in high school mm-hmm. could perform at a college level if you get them in the right environment uh mike price used to love to talk about all of the kids that came up as prop 48s who ended up graduating with degrees um, so it was a really cool deal. Really, the only reason it went away was because uh, schools like USC and UCLA and UW uh, were like, hey, that's not fair. WSU is good, and they're doing it with this rule. So, no, we don't want that anymore. 
that's i mean who can blame them who can blame yeah. them frankly yeah <laughs> you gotta hear both people sides in power are always gonna want to <laughs> you gotta hear both sides uh so this game finishes a 37 34 win for washington state and that kind of set the tone in terms of close wins for the rest of the season uh two weeks later they play the other la school and i don't know what it's like to play both la schools in a season anymore uh but they go down to la they play usc at memorial coliseum win that game 28 21 first of all the paid attendance was fifty one thousand people that's incredible even even at sc that's that's hilariously bad is there any overriding memory from that one because it's a very rare time that uh washington state wins at the coliseum it does not happen very often uh is there anything anybody remembers specifically from that one it was also on tv yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember screaming, stop kicking the goddamn ball to R.J. Sauer. <laughs> and they would do it. He would score. Yep. Yep. And they kept doing it. And then, obviously, the uh, the Kevin McKenzie uh, catch and run to cinch the game. But Sean McWashington absolutely blew up some poor defensive back on that play to spring McKenzie, or he probably wouldn't have scored. And McKenzie, literally, as he's running, he kind of looked up, he realized he was going to score, and he just kind of did a little fist bump, 15-yard penalty. And so oh, God. They, ended up, they ended up kicking from the 20 <laughs> to our hour. And uh, he, ran a, he ran a kick back, and uh, so USC had good field position. And then, you know, even the fact that they were playing the prevent defense didn't stop Sauer from getting behind every defensive back for the next, like, two or three plays and inducing, you know, a couple of strokes. Uh, but luckily, they fell incomplete. Yeah, that's. I mean, the, that block was probably the, the thing I remember most about it because I remember that McKenzie caught the ball on that slant and then he had like two guys chasing him and then McWashington hit that guy so hard that McKenzie kind of looked back and realized that no one was behind him and it kind of almost looked like he was surprised a little bit. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that, that, that's the main thing I remember. Well, McWashington wasn't a big dude either. I mean, he was maybe 5'11", maybe 5'10", 5'11", and you know, probably under 200 pounds. And he just absolutely, you know, cleaned out that safety who uh, thought he was going to chase down McKenzie and then uh, suddenly was. Gilbert makes the hit on it. And you, you said it too, secures the ball. Wrapped it up, short of midfield. First down, Cougar. First downs have been few and far between in the second half of Washington State. Leaves straight back, steps up, throws. Nice catch into the open is McKenzie. He's gone at the 10, the 5, touchdown. And Sean McWashington gave him a key block along the way. How do you like that? You can that? do a lot with momentum, and I think Robert Lewis proved that against Utah a few years ago. You can do it even if you're tiny. You can do a lot with some momentum. Uh, Scott, is there one thing that – I mean, that anybody hasn't mentioned from this one that you remember? I mean, because, you know. Uh, not a particular this. play. Uh, yeah. Just, we watched the game at the Coug, and uh, that's when we saw, you know, we really saw this. This team is legit. Uh, that's where I was like, holy crap, I've never seen a WSU team do something like this before. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe with the exception of the win down at UCLA in 88. But, uh, yeah, I just remember we were uh, just ecstatic after the win. I had a friend that was pretty lit. He walked out the front door of the coup and just started chanting Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl. So he was, he was kind of <laughs> the get-go. So. Scott, Scott, are you saying you were drinking during the game? <laughs> we may have been, yeah. I, I know it's hard to imagine, but I, college. For one, I, for one, have never done that, ever. Yeah. Um, well, it, if I could jump in one last quick thing. Yeah. Like, the big thing that people have to remember that, you know, maybe younger fans don't quite understand is just how – ridiculously rare it was to beat USC. 
Like that mm-hmm. was a, like, it, mm-hmm. like Scott was saying, when we started going, Oh my God, Rose bowl, that was simply because we beat USC. Like it was okay. We beat UCLA. That's nice. Okay. Now we're going to go down play ranked USC, probably lose. And then we'll kind of, you know, regroup, um, you know, to go down and, and really go, not just really toe to toe, but um, you know, really playing from out in front, you know, the entire game uh, was mm-hmm. really the first sense we got like, Holy crap. Like these guys, okay. So they beat UCLA, they beat USC. We never beat USC. Like that never yeah. happens. Our fans uh, these days, our younger fans wouldn't realize how it just don't understand how impossible it seemed to beat yeah, USC back then. Exactly. Especially I think half of our wins against USC all time have come in the last 20 years. Yeah. So, I can believe yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's about right. Yeah, I mean, we've won two of the last three and frankly should have won three of the last three. So it's, it's yeah, it's – or not uh, – no, not three of the last three. It was that game I keep forgetting that Connor Halliday broke his leg in. The one before that I'm thinking of down at the Coliseum. Never mind. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, next week against Illinois – 9.30 in the morning kickoff. And again, a third straight televised game. And I keep having to say that because, again, this was – television was not a regular thing uh, in 1997. Hell, it wasn't in 2006 when I was a freshman. We didn't even get everything on TV. Uh, they go to Illinois. And was the return trip for Illinois the next year or the year before? Because I think that's pretty much the last time a Power 5 team has actually made it to Pullman, right? Yeah, it was a 98. Yeah, okay. So, so this was the trip to Champaign. And Sherwood, I, I want to start with you because of uh, how you guys watched that game. Uh, yeah, that I remember it was like 6.45 and we had been drinking all night. And uh, somebody like kicked down my door about 6.45 in the morning, opened up a bush light and put it in my, put it in my face and said, start drinking. Uh, Cappas are downstairs. Uh, uh, we got champagne breakfast. So, yeah, we, we, we essentially drank champagne with the sorority for about two hours. And I don't remember anything about the game. I just, remember talk- I just remember talking to girls at like seven in the morning, like having to like put on my best Hawaiian shirt and my cool water cologne and heading downstairs. So, yeah. You still do that, I think, yeah, uh, for I mean, the biggest game of the year, if I remember right. My, um, yeah. I love the fact that you just said my best Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, I mean, indi- yeah indicating there's more than one. I, I mean, you have to have formal ones, right? Yeah, no, exactly. No, you got you to have the really nice ones. Uh, is Does anybody have something mean, to a wedding? <laughs> in Arkansas. Um, yeah. So I, I think, does anybody really have an enduring memory of this one or just that they won the game? Because you're watching through a bloodshot eye. Just an ugly, it was an ugly, sloppy game. Like, okay. you know, they had, I mean, college kids are, you know, notable for their ability to, uh, you know, maybe not get up for every game. Mm-hmm. And so you have one of those games where you have to kind of survive a little bit. You know, you just beat UCLA, you just beat USC, you're coming home. The game's at a weird time. Uh, it really is just a prime. And, and Illinois, frankly, wasn't very good. Yeah. So, and then the game, again, the game kicking off early to accommodate ESPN2, as it were, which had only been around for a few years. And so, you know, everything was just sort of conspiring for them to not play very well. And mm-hmm. and they came out and scored early and went, all right, we're good. And then, of course, they weren't good and kind of had to claw it out. And I think the most notable thing about the game was that they didn't lose. And that's about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah that's that's we were that's ranked we were ranked for the first time for this uh game. yeah they were yeah. they were number 19 yep. in that game uh, everybody was feeling pretty good about themselves yeah, yeah. They would, yeah they continued to feel pretty good about themselves the next week they came home uh played boise state at that picture perfect 2 p.m kickoff time that we actually got one of uh last year and i was so thrilled to have that kickoff time again two o'clock against boise state and uh they just maxed them 58 to nothing uh that 
that is uh, that's a beautiful score against that team, especially for how good they are now. It's nice to have those memories uh, of the them best, not being very good. The best story about this game was uh, was you uh, was Boise State's kicker. His name was uh, Todd Del Castro, and um, yeah. Mike Price didn't recruit him, and so like he he because spent, he ducked. Yeah, he was not. He was, he, uh, this is, it wasn't like <laughs> as it uh, turned out. He uh, he he talked so much. Uh, trash. Uh, see, I, I didn't swear that time. We, yeah, we you, uh, so, you censored yourself. Well done. <laughs> he talked so much trash going into that game about how he was going to kick the game-winning field goal against the Cougs, and he was going to run out to the the fifty-yard line. He was going to like he was going to like laugh in Mike Price's face and all this stuff. And so, we, so this actually happened. So, uh, so we kicked off to start the game, and uh, and we scored. We were up by like I think it was forty-five to nothing at halftime. And uh, we were we had deferred we had deferred to the second half, and so we kicked off again at the uh, in the third quarter. So their kicker literally never saw the field, like <laughs> never, didn't even kick off. Never stepped right onto quote. the field once. I got the quote right here. He says, "I hate the Cougars. I really do. I'm going to wear my Washington hat on the sideline after we win. I'm going to sign a football, put the score on it, and hand it to Price." And after the game. Um, Price said, obviously, my kicking coach, Aaron Price, made the right recruiting decision there. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, Lindell, Lindell hit a 57-yarder during that yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, pretty typical of a, a non-Husky graduate to wear his Husky hat around the sideline. The, so, right. the, the, typical the, of a, a kid who grew up in Spokane to be a huge UW fan for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I, yeah. I am baffled that this all happened over trash talk from a kicker. A, ki a college kicker thought to talk this much trash before a football game simply because he didn't get recruited by Washington State, who ended up having arguably their second greatest kicker in school history uh, as the guy kicking in that game. Okay, that's that, that, that third quarter kickoff is still like probably the most savage thing I've ever seen a college football coach do. <laughs> just oh like, you know, it's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> it's I, I it's not so petty. That. That's I love amazing. It. That is amazing because because I, I think that's the other thing uh, people forget too. When you defer, you're actually you get a choice again in the second <laughs> half what you want to do. So the, there, nobody ever 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 does it, but you can kick again if you want to, and that's that's I oh oh that's beautiful. <laughs> this, this um, is Worst loss in Boise State history, by the way. And, oh, is uh, it? Yeah. Wow. I can't even oh. imagine if we'd done this to Boise State these days. I mean, this would just be like one of our all-time greatest wins. But back oh, then, oh god, like, hey, I would have been partying. Hey, we just wiped all out this, you know, this shitty Midwest uh, the MWC team. But yeah. yeah, Idaho was the better Idaho school uh, at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they had the advantage in the Governor's Cup at that point. I think until right about then, when Boise State ripped off like the last fifteen in a row. Uh, Okay, at this point, probably a pretty good time for a commercial break. As you can tell, the recording a little bit more clear here, so I'm doing this kind of on the back end here, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with the rest of the podcast. Again, part one of the 1997 season. We're going to go through 10 games here because the last two were so important. We needed a full podcast for it. So hang in there. We'll be right back uh, with part one of the 97 season megacast. Uh, October 4th at Autzen Stadium against Oregon, a 24-13 win. By the way, that was a 58-0 win over Boise State. 24-13 win over Oregon. And again, this is, this is kind of back before Oregon was beset on that path towards what they are now. Uh, they did beat uh, Washington a few years before on that pretty famous pick 
uh, pick six by the guy whose name I'm completely forgetting, and Jeff or Kyle or Scott or PJ are going to remind me of his name. Kenny Wheaton. Kenny Wheaton, thank you. Um, so, PJ, was this was it still a big deal to beat Oregon in Eugene at this point? Because I, I don't think – you know, like I, I think – at least maybe my perspective would be it was more of a like a brother rivalry like you didn't really hate each other but you didn't like each other either it was just kind of like a whatever it was nice to beat the other one in their house yeah it's a, it didn't really seem like a big deal at least to me because I mean the series was fairly even mm-hmm. and Oregon was really nothing special and uh especially since we were unbeaten uh, I don't know if they were unbeaten or not I don't think they were but uh you know Obviously, you going on the road, it was going to be you know a little more trouble than playing in my home because the year before at home, we had just beaten the piss out of them. Um, I think we scored something like 55 or 60 points on them the year before. Uh, so really didn't expect a lot of trouble. And it was, it was yeah. I think we got out to a decent lead and then uh, Oregon kind of came back and made a game. Of it. Yeah. Uh, reading up about it last night, yeah, Oregon's quarterback was just complete garbage. And uh, we, we just kind of – it was almost like the Illinois game. We just kind of screwed around a little bit and, you know, ended up putting it away down the stretch. But uh, the one thing I remember about it was reading about it the next day, the WSC players talking about how terrible the Oregon fans were. And uh, I think one player actually accused either a fan or another Oregon player of spitting on him. Oh, geez. I think that's in Leafs. Yeah, they were about yeah, Is like, that? Like Leaf said, like he got spit on or something like that. Uh, in the uh, it, he wrote that in his book that uh, that that was like the worst away game he'd ever been to was the '97 Oregon game. Huh. Okay, that's. Well, yeah, that's so that was another one where I was in the press box. My friends though were down in the <laughs> down in the yeah. seats of the stadium, uh, and they the stories they told uh, after the game was over they they were not treated very well. So I mean, Oregon was you know at this point was you know, was burgeoning, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they'd gone to the Rose Bowl in 94, right? I yeah. think is what it was. Yeah, after the 94 season, yeah. Right, yeah. so Rich Brooks, they had gone to the Rose Bowl in 94. They were, they were trying, you know, to, to be on the come up. And, and, you know, so, of course, their fans were, um, you know, a little bit, little bit salty as, you know, Wazoo had, had seemed to kind of pass them a little bit uh, at this point. And yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it, it was loud and, and rowdy and, and raucous. And uh, again, they, they did not treat people very nicely. And uh, so it was really nice to, to get them to be quiet, for sure. That was the worst offensive performance of the season. They only had like yep. 300, 350 yards. Of, um, yeah, 20, yeah, 24 points was the worst. Uh, I, well, accepting the game we'll talk about later, it was the worst offensive output uh, of the regular season. We'll put it that way. Um, the next uh, two weeks later, again, another buy in a season with 12 games, uh, which is just incredible. And one of those 12 games was the Rose Bowl. Uh, the Cal BS does not extend to this game. They did wax them 63-37, although that seems closer than it should have been, Scott. And, again, no TV uh, in this game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in Pullman, again, nothing to watch. So is there something like, cause it's, well, it's yeah. like a 26 point victory, but it was it closer than that. Uh, it was quite a blowout. Uh, yeah. I, have a few, I know a lot of memories of that because I was actually evicted from my house that week. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we, we, we went down to the Oregon game the week before and um, our alumni were kind of on our ass. And so they brought like a house advisor in uh, unexpectedly. And he walked into the house and like a couple of pie fives, I guess, were walking around in their pajamas, drinking out of a half gallon. 
And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to take this room. And the guy was like, beat it, geek. Get out of here. Oh, dear. And so uh, homecoming week, the alumni came down and said, hey, uh, you guys got 48 hours and uh, you got to vacate these premises. So uh, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. So the Cal game's kind of a blur. Uh, considering all the upheaval uh, going on at the time. So wait, so hold on. I, I am not familiar with fraternities, but someone yeah. can just come down and kick all of you guys yeah. out of the house. Yeah, and I think the way they did it actually uh, created quite a uh, media attention. I think we got on the cover of the Spokesman and the Seattle Times this whole thing. Good uh, Just God. probably because of the way they handled it. And uh, yeah, we had to find like a place out in CCN like in a matter of two days. So. Jeez. Well, on the bright side, you got on the bright side. You guys were out of there like six months before the riots, so like that's you true. Guys, that's so you guys have yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's called the ruckus now, by the way, because we just we've leaned in completely to that name. Uh, okay, blowout. There you go. Uh, and and again, the theme of this season of some close games follows tracks the next week against Arizona. Not a ranked team, Washington State, number ten at the time, but they need overtime to beat an unranked Arizona team. Uh, Jeff, that's, that's, that's just kind of Washington state football right there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, th this is the point at which, you know, the momentum is really starting to roll before this, really before this game started, um, you know, toward a number of things. One was, you know, the Rose bowl, people start seriously talking about, okay, this team might mm -hmm. actually be this good. They might actually be able to win. And, and by the way, the other, you know, sort of parallel track is that UCLA is not losing either, right? Like they are, you know they're continuing to continuing to win continuing to blow people out UCLA looks really really good and you know which with every week that goes by it's that that first game is looking better and better and then um, Leaf of course is piling up what are you know sort of ungodly stats for the time uh, and and so the in fact the Cal game the probably the most notable thing about that other than you know scoring 63 was that um, that was when they mailed out the Leafs to all the media members to, to officially kick off the, the Heisman campaign. So they took all these, these leafs and, and mailed them out. And all that was in the envelope was a leaf. And it was just, uh, you know, kind of this, uh, you know, guerrilla Heisman campaign from a, from a school that was not used to running Heisman campaigns. So, you know, going into Arizona, the thought was, okay, you know, this, this shouldn't be, you know, too terribly tough of a game. Um, I think there was a little bit of a look ahead factor because Arizona state was pretty good and that was coming up. Uh, the next week and so um, to survive against uh, Arizona you know again it's when you have these kinds of seasons you know as we have found out you know the kids as we talked about with Illinois you know uh, college kids don't bring it every single week and this was this was sort of another one of those weeks you know they had, they uh, didn't play super great I mean they played all right you know had to do enough to win uh, you know which which of course they eventually did need a little uh, need a little help to do it but but they did do it how did they need a little help, Sherwood? How did they need a little help in that game to get it done? Well, I think I remember it a little differently. But, yeah, I remember uh, so they, were, they played from behind pretty much the entire game. And then they, I think they tied it probably, like, late in the second half. They, and they finally had their first tie. I don't even know if they led at all during the game. Um, but I remember that uh, this, is the, this, is the, this is the game I remember, and I, and I apologize if uh, he is an avid listener, but I remember that they that, – Arizona picked on uh, Luan Gibbons for pretty much the entire game. I, he, uh, Arizona uh, had just a billion passing yards in this game. But the, the two things I remember about this was uh, he gave up the uh, he gave up the tying touchdown uh, at, towards the end of regulation. 
uh, in overtime, we scored first, uh, and then they uh, they got when they got the ball, we we had we gotten them into a fourth and fourteen, and they threw a desperation pass, and Gibbons had an uh, had a PI, which gave him a first down. Uh, then Gibbons gave up a uh, then Gibbons gave up another first down on fourth down on the next series, and then he gave up the touchdown. Uh, and so I, so just like a, a, just possibly the, the scariest, uh, overtime situation for one defensive player, just, just got abused for like probably seven or eight straight plays. Uh, and the scariest thing about this, I, and this may have been what Jeff was alluding to is that, uh, Arizona, I mean, they were three and four at the time. So they like, they just decided, you know, we're not, I don't, we don't want to do another overtime. So they decided to go for two and, uh, and, uh, yeah. Ortez Jenkins takes the ball and I remember him going around that right side. I'm just, just terrified. And then uh, I'm trying to remember um, who, uh, and then he tosses the ball to, uh, to the guy. I, I'm sorry. He, he played in the NFL. It was like, it was like an NFL tight end. And, uh, and the guy, uh, nobody within 10, 15 yards of him. And he just dropped the ball. <laughs> oh, he, so he was the guy, the tight end was open, but Jenkins didn't see him. And Jenkins actually tried to run it. And then, Oh, is that what it was? Fumbled in, but the tight end was open by like t- they would have won alone. The game easily. Alone, yeah. It was a little before Rob Gronkowski's time, so it's it's not Rob Gronkowski uh, yeah. that was there. Um, and he tried to fumble it on purpose, you know, as he's going down and you know as he's losing the game. Tried to fumble it into the end zone, and then uh, yeah, which of course you can't do. So nope, can't advance a fumble. Uh, okay, the next week. November the 1st, I don't know what it always is about Halloween in Arizona State, but uh, there are a lot of things Kyle Sherwood is a connoisseur of, and I think my favorite thing that he's a connoisseur of is the Tempe BS. Just that nothing ever goes right for any Washington team, for that matter, whether it's Washington State or Washington, in Tempe. Now, Tempe or uh, Arizona State is ranked, but – WSU loses, and it's frankly not even close, Sherwood. Yeah, it was like one of those rare night games because you never saw night games in the '90s, uh, and so uh, like that the Pac-12 after dark was not a not a thing. I mean, the latest kickoff you could see would be like three o'clock in the afternoon. So I, I remember everybody being really amped because we were a top ten team and we were going down and playing another ranked team. And it was sold out, and it was night. And there was these kind of there were these rumors going around that Leaf was playing hurt and. That turned out to be true. Uh, just you know, I, I don't. I don't want to take too much out of this. It was. It was mostly. Uh, yeah, I remember. I, I will forever be sad that uh, that fright night was a thing. Uh, I, I can't. I, I don't even remember his real name. I just remember that he lit up Leaf like several times during the game. Had the game-winning interception, and we lost by two touchdowns. Wait. So Scott, when when he's talking, when yeah, when you're talking about fright night. Yeah. What is is that? Is that just like a Halloween celebration in Pullman, or is that just a term for this game happening the day after Halloween? That that was uh, Friedman's nickname, uh, Mitchell Friedman. Oh. Friedman just happened to uh, be a perfect metaphor for that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the day, okay, and... <laughs> okay, okay. I was wondering what it was. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, PJ he had some, you... like five sacks in the game. It was just oh, so he and Christo yeah. Bruce, uh, the stand, uh, Trent Edwards. Um, PJ, is there any like because I'm you know I mean every time this team plays in Tempe, I, I just I clench up because it's just not going to turn out well. And 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 was was this your first experience with the Tempe BS? 
Oh, probably. Uh, I got to, I got to backtrack just a couple weeks real quick on Cal. Uh, Cal scored first to go up six, nothing. And then we scored the next 56 points. So uh, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't as close as the final score might indicate. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, children, you can gather around on grandpa PJ's lap. And believe me, there was a time when there was no such thing as Cal BS. We used right. to own Cal. Uh, at one point in 13 games, we won 10 of them. And uh, more than half of them were by double digits. So, wow, what's that like? Yeah, <laughs> but the, the salad days of the WAC Cal matchup. Yeah, I don't uh, remember next, that. The next week, uh, Arizona would be the final time you ever saw Lawan Gibbons. Uh, thank Christ, uh, because after that, uh, Ray Jackson, who had been starting at safety all season, they moved him to corner to replace Gibbons, and then the world was introduced to uh, one Mister Lamont Thompson, who uh, played in as a safety the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And then, but of course, Dwayne Stewart got hurt at the ASU game, so they put uh, uh, Tory Holloman uh, in for him. But uh, yeah, that would be the end of the Long Gibbons uh, career as a WSU Cougar. The big thing I remember about ASU is uh, I had flown back to uh, Iowa City to watch him play Purdue, and uh, uh, sure would we beat Purdue that week. Uh, so you might be a little happier about that one. Um, so the game came on for me at like you know nine thirty, and WSU mm-hmm. gets down big, 20, like twenty-four to nothing. They come all the way back to take the lead. Uh, then it's back and forth. And uh, the final score wasn't really as – didn't really indicate as close as the game was down the stretch because, I mean, WSU had the ball down, I think, six in the fourth quarter inside the Arizona State, like 25. And that's when they went zero blitz and Friedman came up the middle and knocked the ball loose and they went the other way. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, we were that really a play or two away from yeah. winning that game too. The the play, it's what was so funny when you go back and watch the offense back then, um, you know, we were one of the very few teams that would go five wide and or even or even four wide with with a running back. Most teams, if they went, you know, with one running back, they still had a tight end. And so, you know, we were doing some spread things. You know, Mike Price, we like to joke, is sort of the OG, one of the OGs of the spread, right? Because he does these things. Well, that blitz and fumble by Leaf, they were five wide, so empty backfield, but they were not in shotgun. So they would often take the ball from under center, even at five wide, where they would, he'd snap the ball and then take his, you know, seven step drop. And so that, that was kind of what happened. You know, Friedman just kind of timed up the blitz. If, if Leaf had held off for, you know, one, like one second and made him stop at the line of scrimmage, that play probably doesn't happen, but he didn't, you know, he's kind of creeping up toward the line, started his run to time the time, the snap count and Leaf snaps it. And he's maybe two steps into his drop when he gets hit. Um, and then of course that, that ends the game after the game. So, you know, I mentioned, I got to go to most of the games that year, even most of the road games. This was one of the ones I got to travel to on the, uh, on the dime of the evergreen. And so, uh, I was in the, you know, the media room after the game and, and, you know, the, the memory that's just sort of vividly, uh, etched into my brain was Mike Price, uh, crying <laughs> during his postgame interview and, you know, 20 year old me, you know, I'm just kind of going, I don't, I don't get it. You know, why is he crying? I don't understand. You know, they, they're still, they're having this great season. They've still got the inside track to the Rose Bowl because of that mm-hmm. win over UCLA. They just have to win out. Um, you know, like this is, you know, this is still very manageable. And, and really sometime later, I realized that that was because he realized that really their shot at a national championship had disappeared. And I think that was, yeah. um, you know, because that was a, we were all just thinking, you know, maybe a Rose Bowl, 
Um, you know, I realized later that, you know, the price and, and, and the team, they were, they had their sights set even higher than that. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a pipe dream. It really wasn't. They win that game against, you know, ranked Arizona state, you know, they're, they're surging up into the top 10 and, um, you know, really kind of on their way to, to potentially undefeated season and, and mm -hmm. potentially a showdown with Michigan, a one versus, you know, two or three or four kind of situation in the Rose bowl. And, um, yeah, I just remember the team being really disappointed, really heartbroken, uh, particularly that it, that it ended the way it did, that they didn't start a little better. Uh, I think they felt like they, they could have, uh, performed a little better, but you know, as, as, as Sherwood mentioned, it was, it was a night game when we didn't really have night games. Uh, you know, the crowd was electric as Arizona state night game crowds can be. And, uh, the team was, I think a little bit, a little bit shell-shocked out of the gate and then they they kind of figured it out and then you know in a season where you know they had gotten where they were by uh you know having some some fortunate plays right big plays ucla and arizona and you know sort of some fortunate uh plays at, at opportune times this was one where uh an unfortunate play at an inopportune time sort of did them in yeah well, that was I, back again, when uh, Sundell Stadium was like eighty thousand people too. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when it was the full horseshoe and everything else. Yeah, yeah. before they took it all out and made it actually a lot more. Well, because I did the Cardinals played there, didn't they? That's where yeah. they also played yeah. their home. So yeah. yeah, back when back when college and NFL teams actually shared stadiums. Well, and uh, one other one other last thing. This was the first game of November, and Mike Price had quite a reputation for shitting. Sorry, crapping the bed. Uh, it, we're 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 way past needing we're to past that. Okay, the shitting ready. the bed. <laughs> Uh, and so it was, that was the other part was like, oh, here we go again. It's November. The calendar has turned and now the Cougs are going to tailspin the rest of the way out of the season. So I know, uh, Sherwood has some thoughts as he told me, uh, about the game against Southwestern Louisiana. They are not that anymore. It's Louisiana Lafayette, uh, but 77 to seven. And you have thoughts about was, that? First of all, it was Southwest Louisiana State. That's uh, right. Excuse me. How dare I? <laughs> uh, the weird thing was, okay, so this game was scheduled like last minute because this is where the UCLA game was supposed to be, which is actually okay. kind of mind-boggling to think about if like like one lost WSU against like one lost UCLA would have been playing in, uh, at, at, in Pullman like that first week in November. That would have been just mm -hmm. the craziest thing of all time. But, yeah, I mean, this is as close to uh, – Pac-10 Pac teams didn't pl uh, play FCS-level schools at this point. So, like, South Southwest Louisiana State is as close as you're going to get to one. I think they had been a D1 team for, like, a year. Uh, and, like, they were they were able to come to uh, Pullman uh, in November for a body bag game. And so that that's that what's happened. This was uh, Dad's weekend. So uh, it was the uh, – so, like I mentioned before, uh, at, at, the, at the top, like, you know, my dad had actually never been to Pullman because I had essentially – flown to Spokane and driven down to Pullman with essentially everything that I had taken to Bloomington. So I remember or he comes into my room like on Friday night and he opens my uh, my little fraternity fridge and he sees a bunch of bush lights in there and he looks at me he's like, Kyle, have you started drinking? <laughs> <laughs> no, these belong to somebody else. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm holding them for a friend. Yeah. But do, do, do you want one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I remember going to this game, and and so I remember it was just us and all of our dads in the uh, in the in the in the uh, student section there in in the end zone, and and uh, and, and the weather dad, was terrible. Yeah, and they did not want to be there. My dad the entire time was like, he's like, why are we here? Like, 
they're going to win by 40 points. I'm like, no, just, just watch this. Like, this is going to be crazy. And like, we just kept scoring and we kept scoring and we kept scoring. We could have dropped a hundred points. Like 77 is like, uh, literally like pulling back on the throttle. Like they, they could have scored, it's they could have scored a hundred points in this game. It's I not an exaggeration. Leafs, Leafs no. last play in the game was probably in the middle of the third quarter. And they called a bootleg for him to go around on the left side. And there's no defenders there. And it's like an eight yard. He walked into the end zone and like, and I, I mean this literally, he walked in, he's just walking into the end zone and it's not, he's not even taunting. He's just shaking his head. He's like, why am I still out on the field? And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I remember that. And so, and they, they pulled him, they put in burn bomb for the rest of the game. The other thing I remember about this game is we didn't have a, a dance team back in the nineties. We had what was called the rally squad. And it was like, a, it was kind of like mm. people who couldn't be cheerleaders. I, I, I apologize if we have rally squad listeners. I don't really know much about, about, the, about what they did, but I remember they were, they did all the yelling, but their big thing that they did was they did pushups after, uh, after every uh, after every touchdown and uh, and they did as many push-ups as we had points and it got to the point where they had to do seven t- push-ups then 14 push-ups then 21 push-ups then 28 push-ups then 35 push-ups and then finally they got to like 42 push-ups and they're like begging us they're like please can we just take turns doing these push-ups and we're like no you get on the ground <laughs> the team is out here scoring for you and the least you could do is do these push-ups <laughs> who else is who else okay so this was dad's weekend it's a rare time to have a good memory on a dad's weekend at least for me so who else's yeah. dad was in town for that weekend uh mine was there my yeah, parents came down oh go ahead scott oh yeah we i think if i recall right he took me to a concert the uh, night before a beasley featuring uh, toto and oh then, uh, my god wow really yeah 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 <laughs> that was the uh that was the uh uh entertainment wsu so real 1997. real big fish what would become maroon five and toto in like just yeah. just beyond the football this is a dream music season too i think this is just, it's <laughs> right, fulfilling exactly. all of my dreams uh bj your dad came down for he was living in they were living in spokane at the time right or still are yeah, my, my only real memory is, uh, yeah, they came down. I'm pretty sure we left at halftime. And uh, yeah, because, you know, I, I was uh, eager to get to a free meal at an actual restaurant uh, on my <laughs> time. So, yeah, we didn't. And, have uh, and it was cold, like Jeff said. So, yeah. yeah. And Jeff was Since eating was... free spread up in the box. You were eating the free pork and yes. cooking. Yeah. Yes. No, it, no, it was, uh, it was boiled hot dogs. Oh. And maybe chili if they were feeling. If they were feeling like, uh, you know, like thank really God it got hot better hot twelve years. It got better twelve years yeah. later. No, no. <laughs> when I went, when I went back for when, uh, when the new press box opened and they had like pulled pork and like I was like, this is this is not like it used to be. Um, but I stayed all the way until the end because I was, you know, covering the game and um, I do remember sitting in with my dad in the fourth quarter. He had purchased a reserve seat, so uh, so I went down and, and sat next to him for the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, it was rainy and kind of gross and we were up, you know, 70 to nothing or something at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like legitimately we could have scored a hundred if we wanted to, um, the, the, probably the most noteworthy thing about the game is that, uh, Southwest Louisiana state scored seven points. And so they scored a touchdown at the end and whoever was left in the, in the stadium, which wasn't very many people, but I was one of them. My dad was one of them. Um, 
our fans, I mean, there was a point in this game where our fans were legitimately feeling sorry for them and not in like that patronizing, you know, bless your heart kind of way, but in like this legitimate, like someone out there. Yeah, they're getting the crap beat out of them. Like, like, like someone, they clearly do not belong on the same field and we don't want someone to die kind of situation. Yeah. And when they, when they did score their touchdown, I just remember like everybody in the, in the stadium erupts in this applause. And it yeah. wasn't, again, it was not just a patronizing, like, yay, you finally did something. It was legitimate. Like, all right, you guys, like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm so glad you're not going to leave here with just, you know, no like, points on the board. Yeah. The worst experience of your life. You know, you got to, experience- <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. It was probably, probably still is not up there, but, <laughs> no, it, it was, I mean, it was trending toward like, are we, are we actually scarring these kids? You know, are they ever going to recover from this? Uh, so they had a little bit of positivity and everybody was, was thrilled for them. Kyle, I saw you raise your hand. You stayed all the way to the end too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. My, uh, I got to the point where my dad had asked to leave so many times where I was like, no, we still, we, we, uh, we, we stayed stay. through every Mariner game that we were down. 13 runs and uh, and you made me stay at all those games we're gonna we're gonna stay this because this time it's fun but yeah I remember that the other thing I remember is on my my honeymoon probably like 10 years ago um we're in Cancun and uh and and this guy uh, and uh you know you're at the can you're at the the resort bar and I'm talking to this guy next to me and like uh he finds out that I went to WSU and he actually played for this team uh, the Southwest Louisiana he State team. Played for them. He, he was one of the guys, and 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 he and and just the fact that I said WSU, like it went from like this super friendly like conversation to like just all of a sudden he's just shell shocked and like he doesn't say he's not like mad at me, but he's just like, oh, now I'm remembering like the worst day of my life and. <laughs> All these, all these idiots cheered for us when we scored a touchdown. I remember yeah. it vividly. It was just the rudest thing on the world. Uh, a closer game the next week. And actually, this next game against – this is the last one we'll talk about for part one because the last two games of the season kind of deserve uh, their own thing. Uh, but November 15th against Stanford again, 2 p.m. Again, the number 14 team in the country, not on television. And I, I have to keep saying that because I'm amazed every single time. Uh, yeah, 38-28 win. and. Scott, I think if I'm remembering right, this is the record crowd at Martin Stadium. They crammed over 40,000 people in there. What was the atmosphere like at that football game? Because it must have been, you know, like I, I've, I've been to a few big games in Pullman in my day as a fan, but never that crammed full of people. Yeah, it was great. I mean, we were just – the Cougars were riding high and um, the fan base was, was going crazy and uh, – the thing I remember about that game is uh, it was I think Stanford was a team we were kind of supposed to beat pretty good, and they yet they kept coming back and actually making it a close game because they were able to throw over us. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean it was the fact is we won and and you know everyone everyone went home happy and uh, yeah it was kind of just a great cap off for the uh, fan base for the Martin that year. Yeah, so that was the final home game of the year, and again we'll get to the Apple Cup and the Rose Bowl in another podcast later on this week. Uh, but PJ, what what are your enduring memories from that game because like Scott said you know it's the last game at Martin for the year and and there's 40 again 40,000 people in there that's hard for me to fathom uh right now in that stadium that only seats about 35. Although the one thing about uh, yeah the 40,000 I remember there were some some very definite incentives uh for people to attend the game because I think originally they had trouble selling a ticket so uh, they had not sold out any of the games any of the home games that year. Yeah. 
yeah, so uh, even that one, I think, was, was going to be a difficult time that they ended up packing the stadium. Um, I may or may not have actually been at this game uh, because my, my brother was actually in high school playing in the state playoffs. Uh, up mm. so I, I remember sitting there watching him get refed against uh, Kamayakin and uh, <laughs> kind of biting, biting, my nails, biting my nails off, uh, trying to listen to the to WSU and Bob Robertson is, uh, is, you know, like Scott said, Stanford just kept it close, kept it close. And finally WSU, you know, kind of sealed it uh, way down the stretch. And uh, it was a lot closer than we hoped, but, uh, and then the, there was an enduring memory of Leaf just spiking the ball and his, what turned out to be his final home game. Yeah. Do yeah, you want yeah, to talk about Leaf at all? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, that's a pretty legendary <laughs> spike, right? Like, cause I, even I've seen pictures of that and it, it, it almost seemed like this, like you kind of knew at that point that he was not coming. I mean, even if you'd all been inclined to know that he wasn't coming back for a senior season, that pretty much seemed like it sealed the deal, right? Yeah, I, I had some friends, a couple, couple of friends of mine who I went to high school with who were uh, walk-ons on the team. And I guess uh, during – there was a day late in the season where they all, the seniors all get their pictures taken or something. Mm-hmm. And they actually poked in and asked to take uh, his quote-unquote senior photo with them, and they all told him no. <laughs> that's about right. Do, 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 do you guys think there was kind of a love hate uh, with the, everybody on campus would leave? I Not then. It was then. I think it. There definitely was when he came back the next yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, came back in what was it? Ninety nine. That that I don't really. That, that's a came sad back, memory, but yeah, I remember when he came back in ninety nine. Yeah, that was, was pretty rough, some, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah he but, came uh, back in ninety eight for the ASU game. Yeah, and got kicked out of like four bars. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know. Like, I off... felt like some kind of felt like a lot of students felt like they were they, they were almost like ashamed to be rooting for him. Like, uh, he, he was so good you couldn't help yourself, but his boorish behavior kind of, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely you know boorish <laughs> around town during the whole yeah. season. I mean, anybody who was you know who was out and around town you know saw it or knew it. There there were stories about you know him doing or saying things. Um, you know, frankly, for me covering the team, he treated me like shit the whole year because <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't important enough. I was just another. I was just a dumb student, and I think I wrote. I don't know. I must have wrote something. He was a, he definitely remembered every little slight. I mean, there's a famous story of, uh, so Mike Sando, who now writes for, uh, you know, I don't know if he still writes for ESPN or not. I think he still, I think he still writes for ESPN. He might might be with the athletic now. I'm not sure. But anyway, he was at the time he was the Cougar writer for the spokesman review. He then went on to the news tribune and then ESPN. So anyway, he was the guy, well, he wrote, you know, wrote a story about leaf, uh, you know, the way he taped his ankle, this was like really early in the season. He, he twisted his ankle during a, during a practice during preseason. Uh, you know, somebody was standing behind the line. He dropped back for a pass, stepped on someone's foot, tweaked his ankle, went and got his, his ankle, you know, taped up. And uh, Sando wrote the story and then also talked to Smaha, who was Mark Smaha, who was the, the trainer at the time, head trainer at the time. And he said, you know, yeah, Leaf likes to get his, you know, his, his uh, tape put on the outside of his shoe, but that doesn't really do any good. Well, Leaf took that as a uh, as a slight and then threw, threw the ball at Mike Sando's head during a practice. <laughs> missed his, you know, like so they were doing like a wide receiver drill and missed his receiver by about ten yards and the ball went whizzing past uh, somebody's head. So you know that was just that was kind of his thing. You know he would, um, you know he would he would treat if you were a big enough media outlet he would treat you really well because he saw the advantage of that. If you weren't he he didn't and that kind of extended I think to 
to most of campus. It's not like this is any big secret. I mean, Leaf, you know, talks about this in his, in his book. Um, yeah. Transparent about his uh, about his shortcomings as a person, particularly you know twenty plus years ago, um, and yet you know you just marveled you know you marveled at the talent and you mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't ever you know get away from the from the talent and um, you know one of the enduring images is you know after that uh, after that Stanford win um, you know he's lifted up on the shoulders of players you know he's you know got his fists in the air and. You know, then stories start circulating that Leaf was running around looking for people saying, hey, pick me up on your shoulders, pick me up on your shoulders. <laughs> Who knows if that was true knows, or not. Yeah. That, that may be urban legend, but um, yeah, it just was, you know, he just was such a transcendent talent. And, you know, you were just, I think most people were sort of able to separate the, um, the off the field shenanigans with mm-hmm. on the field. And I think one of the, the great things that doesn't get talked about enough uh, it was that, you know, for all the things that Mike Price did as a football coach, probably his greatest accomplishment was somehow, some way harnessing Ryan Leaf into yeah. a Pac-10 championship yeah. quarterback. Yeah, because I, I mean, the guy, because I, I think maybe, you know, I was obviously young. So the only introduction I had to Ryan Leaf was really who he was when he was playing for the Chargers. And then later on, I think like he had a cup of coffee with the Cowboys and Seahawks or wherever he went after the Chargers got rid of him. But it was learning years later that he he was pretty well i mean a that mike price did that but that b that was pretty well hidden in pullman because if you want to have that kind of personality a pretty good place to go to school especially in the late 90s is pullman washington where nobody's really paying attention to you yeah it would be, it would have been very much very difficult under like sit playing in tuscaloosa or something like that yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. when you only got the spokesman covering you, it makes it pretty easy to uh, blend in. Yeah, and there's no such thing. Yeah, again, there's no such, you know, the only time people see is on TV highlights. So, yeah. Uh, The good news is that. I was gonna say yeah. I was nineteen. I was nineteen. I didn't know any of any any of, of this. Uh, I, yeah. I I just thought he was Paul Bunyan at, the, at that time. Like <laughs> if you saw him on campus, he was the largest human being you've ever seen. Oh, he's life. gigantic. Like, he's he's what he's I, like. I six remember five, him actually six. Something and like he, that, and he's built like a defensive tackle. Like he's yeah. just no, he's humongous. He's just yeah. the largest man on campus. And so I remember every every once in a while when you'd see him on Glen Mall, he'd, he'd, he's just a super. He just looks like a superhero. So like, and I you know I've been in college for two months, so I hadn't I had enough time to you know put up with his bullshit or whatever. Yeah, but, he uh, knew it too. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Scott, you were, yeah, Scott, you were gonna say something too. Oh, he's the only person I can ever remember actually driving to uh, Glen Terrell Mall parking and going to class, right on the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just parked you to Ryan Leaf's car. <laughs> oh yeah, I, yeah, no, I. Uh, that's that's definitely a dare you to do it thing. Okay, that's the first ten games of the season out of the way. Part two of this is going to be the Apple Cup and the Rose Bowl. So we. We only needed an hour and change to go over the first 10 games, but we need just that much time to go over arguably the two biggest games in Washington state football history. I mean, I, I, I might be exaggerating a little bit there, but I also don't think I'm really exaggerating too terribly much. It's the two biggest games in school history. Uh, so part two of this is going to come out later on this week, same group of guys. We're just going to go over these two games. So thanks so much for listening to this edition Apple Cup Rose Bowl coming out later this week.